Welcome to the Paul List. I'm Tuplai on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I. Um, also, you can email me at Tuplai at gmail.com. Um, the Paul List is a daily comics analysis project. It's somewhere between a critic's poll list and an evolving um, syllabus for a comic studies course um, and a bit of a research project. What I do is every day I analyze a comic for about 30 minutes you know, from the varied worlds of superhero comics, graphic novels, indie small press comics, comics from around the world, you name it. Um, the Paul List is on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. And I am an academic, I'm a critic, and I'm a teacher. And this project's goal is really for me to immerse myself and, and you with me in the study of this uh, vibrant medium. And uh, we do a lot of different kinds of analysis. And I got to tell you that one of the things that I find about myself is that I am a process geek. I love um, uh, finding out about the how of how things are done, um, things that, that fascinate me and, uh, you know, foremost among my interests is the ways that comics are made and whether it has to do with the writing process and the storytelling uh, story creation process or character development, character design, or um, even publication, even the way that retailers, you know, decide what books to try to hand sell and what books to pre-order. Um, these are all things that finding about the sort of insides of how things work is always fascinating to me. Um, I'm going to guess that if you have listened to my podcast in the past and you're one of the regular listeners, you're probably that kind of a brain too, um, because I think otherwise this is very tiresome and pedantic. It is anyway, <laughs> but um, today I'm going to be doing a little bit of um, backtracking on my schedule, trying to play catch up. It is Tuesday tonight. Um, it's already the end of Tuesday. Shows how behind I am. And I never touched on a Marvel book, which is usually my Monday task, the, mon the Monday Marvel. So today I'm going to talk about Black Widow number five with art by Chris Somney and um, colors by Matt Wilson and written by Mark Wade and Chris Somney. Um, but I'm primarily going to be talking about Chris Somney's art and so not to dismiss the role of mark wade um in fact they as a team in combination i think have um had a very successful run on daredevil and recently um jumped aboard black widow i think to the excitement of many people um who who for whom that announcement was a bit of a surprise and then uh, i think turned into i think a really um delightful uh, you know, combination, which re for reasons we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, so I'm going to talk about Black Widow number five. Um, first, a little bit of programming note, and then I want to um, acknowledge um, the sort of um, the <laughs> intellectual and professional influence that um, I bring that, that, you know, has sort of helped me to make my way into this conversation about Chris Somney's art in Black Widow number five. Um, but first off, like I said, today's um, Tuesday, but I'm covering the Monday Marvel Black Widow number five. Um, tomorrow, I plan to try to play a little catch up and to have a Tuesday trade paperback um, episode on a Wednesday. <laughs> and I'm on to cover um, Abnett and Colbert's uh, uh, Wild and the Enemy Within, which is the second volume of that series, um, which is a fun book. And I'm excited to talk about it out from Boom Studios. And then for the Wednesday Wide World of Comics, um, I think I'm going to try to double up my episodes and do a second episode tomorrow um, where I talk about, uh, you know, my poll list on New Comic Book Day. Um, and I want to revisit the episode that I did last week that was a kind of an extra where I did my Eisner picks. Um, a lot of times, you know, you listen to people prognosticating about awards or 
championships in sports or whatever, and uh, they don't always go back to the predictions that they made and talk about how right and wrong they were. Um, well, I was wrong quite a lot, but um, I, I think I'd love to go back and just kind of cover what uh, what won the Eisners and then what I thought would win and, and what I picked myself. Um, one of the oversights... Mm, maybe it wasn't an oversight because I think I did mention my my appreciation of the book was the early readers book um, Little Robot by Ben Hackey um, and I have a great deal of appreciation for uh, not only Little Robot but Ben Hackey Ben Hackey's work at large in fact my daughter uh, was Zeta the space girl for Halloween recently so uh, there's much love in this household for for Mr. Hackey and Little Robot won the um, early readers you know the youngest age bracket um, Eisner Award, and I'm really excited about that. Um, even though I, I was uh, honestly a little bit surprised. So, I'm, I'm going to talk about that book tomorrow as well in the Wednesday Wide World of Comics. Uh, two episodes from now, but probably both. I'll try to get out, get done, and get out tomorrow. Um, today, to come back to today's topic, today I want to talk about Black Widow number five. Um, when the Wade and Somni team that had you know done such a uh, sort of splendid job on Daredevil, bringing a kind of delight, a throwback kind of uh, fun to the character. Um, when they, you know, announced that they were wrapping up their run on Daredevil, uh, I think we were all dismayed and, dis- you know, um, uh, disappointed to see that come to a close. But uh, then they announced, uh, along with all the new Secret War, post-Secret Wars series at Marvel, they announced um, that Wade and Somni would turn their talents onto Black Widow. And Black Widow is a character who has always had a, some popularity, but especially um, in light of the the um, character in the in the Avengers movies uh, and Captain America movies, the um, Scarlett Johansson character. I think she's been a character who um, has deserved uh, sort of the best attention. Uh, the previous series of um, Black Widow, especially the Phil Noto art on it, I think was pretty good, but. Um, left something to be desired in terms of maybe the clarity of storytelling, not in the art, um, but maybe in the in the actual um, story. And I think more than anything, it just seemed like a character who um, hadn't, you know, I think the, the possibilities of this character who was, I think, started out as a villain and really sort of um, uh, had a lot of uh, potential, um, some of it not yet met, um, you know, I I think we were all sort of watching for what would come of Black Widow in this uh, in this yet another sort of relaunch reboot of Marvel, and um, and then to find out that Wade Insomni were on it was a bit of a surprise, but actually I think it's a great fit, and I think people agreed when they saw the first issue because the first issue of this series was um, something of an experiment, and I think it 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 was a hit. Uh, basically, what uh, Wade Insomni did was, um, rather than Wade being the sole credited as the sole writer or storyteller, um, really they were both credited, and rightly so because it really I imagine that Wade's script was essentially like a one-page workup of what um, needed to happen, might happen, but probably just said something along the lines of Black Widow is taking something from a Shield helicarrier and has to get the heck out of there with her life intact, while all of the um, agents of Shield on the helicarrier are trying to stop her. That's basically the plot for the first issue. And uh, it was golden because what it really wound up being is a display of Somni's 
art and his storytelling, his visual storytelling abilities. Uh, I think this series is very much about visual storytelling. There's some intrigue and plot. It's sort of typical espionage spy kind of plot twists and intrigue. But I think that the series is intentionally, you can say, quote unquote, underwritten um, in terms of the, the amount of text and things like that. Um, so that it can really emphasize the glorious, you know, visual storytelling that really drives the page turns, that drives the the sense of momentum, the smoothness of the read. And I think it really is a masterful display piece for for Somni, who's really become something I think of a of a contemporary, um, uh, you know, master of a certain style. Um, in some ways, he's a reflection of the rediscovery of a master. Um, Alex Toth, who, if you've never seen Toth's work, first of all, look it up. Um, he is um, hugely influential and um, sort of a, a creative genius. Um, I would refer you to your library, local library, or to bookstore or whatever, to pick up some of the genius. Um, there's a series of three books that IDW came out over a number of years recently. Genius Illustrated, Genius Animated, Genius... Uh, oof, I'm blanking on the third one, but you can look it up. And they collected a bunch of Alex Toth's um, art, and you just see what um, really uh, occasionally a cantankerous personality, but really just a um, hyper-devoted uh, master of the form uh, he was. And when I say form, I really mean comics and animation. Um, never really got to apply his considerable talents to one work. And so he doesn't, you know, like Kirby seems to have an endless list of works that we associate with Kirby. Toth sort of doesn't have that um, in his um, bibliography so much, um, but uh, hugely influential, hugely influential. In fact, I remember the um, the greatest Batman stories ever told volume that I've referenced that I used to check out from the library uh, repeatedly. And I remember reading it and just watching the evolution of Batman art and just feeling like, you know, there was this sort of huge lift that occurred around the time of Neil Adams, but then you, things just became sort of murky, and it really was the clarity of the Alex Toth art in this one issue that's in that collection that um, returned me to something that was um, very raw and deep and, and um, almost um, viscerally elegant. Um, so um, when I think of Toth, I think one of the people that's helped me to understand why his work is so gorgeous, really to understand the gut response, not, not to like help me to get what's good about it, but to help me to understand how it gets to be that good. Um, one, one person who's really helped me to, to, to understand that um, is an artist named Jesse Hamm. Jesse Hamm is um, an artist who works in, at the Periscope Studios in... Um, in Portland, Oof. sorry, Mr. Ham and Periscope friends, if that's not where you are, <laughs> I believe it's in Portland. Um, and a number of artists of you know some repute currently, uh, with a lot of diverse and very cool styles, are are also there. Well, Jesse Ham is an artist that um, I've enjoyed. I, I first sort of saw his name as one of the contributors in, in some of the very designy kind of work that was in David Aha and uh, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye. And um, then came to find out that he uh, was among the, um, the colleagues that um, 
you know, uh, here in the Bay Area, actually, um, Jean Luen Yang and Jason Shiga and Derek Kirk Kim and others had as part of a sort of art night group that um, really taught each other a lot about comics as they were coming up as comics creators. And, uh, and so um, I found out a few, about a year ago, that Jesse Ham was starting a, um, a Patreon page. page. Uh, pay, if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's basically a, a way to directly support um, artists and creators and then to see some of their work. And um, actually, that wasn't a year ago. I think it was maybe half a year ago. Anyway, Jesse Ham's Patreon is a place where he posts sketches and he also posts the kind of explanations and analysis that uh, you know a process geek like me loves. Um, the kind of thing that you, you know, you, when, if you're interested in comics, you like would find endlessly fascinating to sit at a studio and listen to one experienced artist, you know, offer suggestions to another, you know, budding artist. You know, I just think about how much I'd love to have been a fly in the wall in the room in, um, you know, when Eisner was imparting on the 10 artists in his stable, all of the the wisdom, the sort of learned wisdom and intuition and, uh, and experienced knowledge that came from his years of learning comic storytelling. And you get a sense of that in Jesse Ham's Patreon. And so I really encourage anybody who's listening to check it out. Um, you can just Google search Jesse Ham or you can search in Patreon under Jesse Ham. Um, that's two M's in Ham. <laughs> and uh, one of the things, one of his pieces that it was there on his Patreon, he described um, something uh, that um, I ever since I read it, I just cannot help but notice. Um, he he uh, outlined sort of small set of rules that were sort of rules of thumb about what you can do with lighting and shadow, and he called it burn and bury, burn and bury. And ever since I read it, I just could not get that conceptually out of my head, and it came to really guide how I read. Uh, you know, by read, I mean sort of understood the visual language of creators like Toth and like um, and like Somni. And so when I look at the Somni work, it's glorious. I think it's just, um, you know, really beautiful storytelling. Uh, great. There's great clarity in the action, in things that could potentially be hyper murky. Um, there is a simplicity. But it's not a simplicity like simplistic. It's just like in just the right place. Um, and, you know, actually in, in the um, Burn and Berry piece that Jesse Ham writes, he cites a few other artists who have done this to great effect, which is namely to use black and white and to use especially chunks of black as shadow in ways that are um, just... Uh, well, I'll get into the description as I talk about it, but he talks, he gives an example of a page from David Mazzicelli, um, and Batman year one. And that is an example, I think of this clean, um, and sort of, uh, care, wonderfully carefully selective use of shadow. And then, uh, he, he shows a page from, from Milton Kniff, um, another master of such things. Um, I think also of other comic strips illustrators like uh, Noel Sickles and uh, and then other comics illustrators who um, even today I think there's a, a handful that I can think of um, who uh, I just are just using this uh, maybe Toth inspired or Toth furthered um, uh, kind of artistic sensibility really really well 
Um, what Ham describes in Burn and Berry, and I'll bring it back to Black Widow, primarily about the art of in Black Widow number five in a second. I'm not going to talk much about the story, so apologies for your disappointment if you were looking for a really clear explanation or exposition of uh, what the heck is going on in the spy work of Black Widow number five. I won't really go there. Instead, I just want to talk about the Somni art and why it's so effective for this kind of story. But um, what what Ham talks about in terms of the, the burn and bury um, rules of thumb is that, um, you know, what, what you're often doing is you're drawing a, a figure. And one of the things you'll notice if you flip through, especially the prior four issues, but it's the case too in issue five of Black Widow, is that um, Chris Somney uh, uses the, this, you know, has this use of shadow pretty generously, but primarily he uses these, um, these shadows to create depth in the figures that matter. And most often the figures that matter are the human figures. Uh, in the first issue where Black Widow and Natasha is sort of escaping from the, the helicarrier, you see um, a lot of background, but that background is usually drawn, um, you know, uh, with, with all the right proportion and angles and relevance and just giving you just enough information, but it's not clouded up with very much shadow. And if you wanted to be thoroughgoing about your application of shadow, then you know you know your light source is here. You know that your your shadows are going to fall there. He doesn't overdo it. He doesn't spend all his time making the backgrounds shadowy in the same way that what really matters. I think what really wants to have depth so that they jump out on the page, the folds of their clothes, the bend of their arm, the the expression on their face. What really has shadows is the figures, is the shield you know agents who are jumping at. Black Widow or the ways that she is, um, you know, traversing some, some, uh, you know, gap to, <laughs> to grab a, uh, somebody flying through the air with a, uh, uh, parachute or something like that. Um, but y you see that the, the black and white, and I hope you're looking at some of these pages of Black Widow as I'm talking, but you don't have to be, um, the, in these pages of black and white, so much of the background, the, um, the machinery and so on is drawn cleanly without the heavy use of shadow. But the shadow comes in to add to provide depth and motion and a kind of um, soft realism. I almost want to say, and I'll talk about that's my own term, soft realism. I'll talk about that soft realism a little bit more as we go here. But a kind of soft realism to the figures, so that the figures really jump out; they become alive because they're the, they're what our eyes want to engage with, um, and it makes it all read incredibly smoothly. Like I said, I mean, there's just so much possibility in these kinds of action scenes for things to trip up, and Somni accomplishes so much um, cleanness and clarity in his um, line and his design. Um, and so I, I think what um, what he does with uh, the shadow, um, and what I notice is totally an application of this really smart point that Jesse Ham makes. So let me try to explain what that is, what he means by burn and bury. So what he what he shows um, Ham, what ha Jesse Ham shows is that, you know, if you draw a, a character, let's say a character in a in a uniform, let's say a shield agent in a uniform, and you um, draw sort of the wireframe version of the character, you know, you articulate all of the pockets and fingers and parts of the hat and face structure and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you draw it all out and you leave it like that, uh, you, you have basically a very a coloring book looking picture, right? You have all the structure lines to it. 
if you start sh- if, and uh, and uh, if you're lo- like say looking at a reference of a photograph and you start noticing oh there's light shadow here oh there's dark shadow here and so maybe you use some cross hatching for where there's light shadows and then you try to gradate use gradations or gradients for the uh, the other shadows what you end up doing is you end up having this almost confusing almost too real and somewhat distancing um, version of this figure. It feels um, stiff. Um, Ham, I think, uses the word. It feels almost academic. Um, and what it doesn't do is doesn't have the kind of liveliness or or readability, or I would even say appeal to our our brain's desire for um, symbology. It doesn't have that, and so it becomes very. I, I mean, I hate to. I'm not want to throw any artists under any buses because I think these artists are are you know appreciably awesome. But I mean, it's it's like the way that Alex Ross art is often so real that and, and you know I've seen the pictures of the sort of some of the posing that he does and some of the fabric laying so that he gets that hyper realism. But it's so real it almost is is distancing. You know, it's almost too stiff, too too posed. And um, and so he what um, Ham this is all that late, that stuff about Alex Ross by the way that's not Ham that's me, <laughs> but um, um, but I think what what Ham goes on to explain is that when you do um, that wireframe figure and then all of the shadow you you wind up with two potential errors one where you have what he calls lingering structure lines where everything looks almost too rote like a coloring book um, or two you have timid shading. Where your shading is um, is not stark enough to really have, and you know it, it, it winds up having a bit of um, uh, you know some of those distancing effects that I talked about. At least that's my that's my sort of interpretation of how the shading fails when it does that. Um, and and so um, how do you avoid the timid shading, and how do you avoid sort of becoming overly coloring book with all these structure lines? Um, he he uh this is where he describes the solution of sorry i'm looking back at his article just to make sure i'm representing it as close to right as i can he um he he calls the solution burn and bury what he means by burn is he means that the side of objects that are that are lit uh what you what you can do is thin out the lines or use less detail or in some and sometimes eliminate the lines altogether so that it has this effect of a strong light that sort of bleaches out all of the de- uh, you know the detail of that part and so let's say you're a shield agent and you have a helmet and the light source is coming from the upper right then the right upper right of your helmet you you thin out the lines you make it so that almost that um that whole side of your you know your noggin over there can just sort of be devoid of detail and that light can have its power and then on the opposite side rather than trying to have some sort of texture or gradient you bury the unlit side covering them you know with with the shadow and um and those shadows um sort of you know cover this detail that's sort of extraneous and gets in the way of um of the 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 clarity the storytelling and uh, Ham demonstrates this with sort of a drawing of his own. It's just, and you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, you're right. That is coloring book. And yes, that is kind of over rendered. And oh wow, that's Toth. You know, like that was part of the brilliance of Toth. Um, uh, you know, just knowing where line weights and where dark shadows can really create a certain, um, you know, appeal uh, in the effect. 
Um, so burn and bury. Um, that's what Jesse Ham describes. And I think that's, I, and I don't know if Somni uses the same um, language. Uh, I, I think it's visibly apparent that some aspect of that um, strategy, that technique is also in his visual language. Um, but, uh, you, okay, so turning to Black Widow number five, you really see the use of Burn and Barry, even on the cover. On the cover image, you see this um, sort of double agent-ish character, not to give too much of the plot, but this double agent-ish character at the front there holding a gun. And there's also this sort of explosive background um, going on with some kind of fire and headlights or something. And so there's, there's lots of the lighting stuff that's perfect fodder for the kind of burn and bury. And so you can see that essentially you have these very carefully chosen spots of black where details are, are buried. And then you see these, these very bright spots of white where the, even the, the, um, the line work is almost a, a, a brightness color hold along the edges. Um, and it's the effect and it's that, it's that really cool black and white stuff. Um, you can, it's, it's like, it seems like makes it simpler to not fret over all the detail that you cover, but you can, but, but there's also such this careful structure, this careful silhouette. And it's another, that's another essay that, um, I'll sort of entice you to Jesse Ham's Patreon. Uh, I encourage you to support him and to read his essay about silhouettes. But there's enough careful work in in rendering the silhouette so that it's readable. Um, that this isn't lazy, despite it being simple. You know, there's no laziness. There's no oversimplicity in these figures. They are really carefully rendered. Um, you know, and and so to come back to Black Widow. I think one of the reasons why this style is so perfect is because um, I, I, to me, and this is very subjective, but maybe some of y'all feel me on this, but to me, there's something in that style that um, has this understated realness to it that is perfect for this kind of story. When I was a kid, I, I really loved black and white stuff. You know, I was really into detective novels and and crime fiction and you know old movies and you know Humphrey Bogart and stuff like that and I there was just something about the shadow and sort of the chiaroscuro the noir-ish kind of visuals that really appealed to me but a lot of times when I saw that illustrated in comics I, it it didn't achieve the kind of fluidity in the action that I wanted um, and so when you had an action scene or a chase scene or whatever there was there was never the kind of intensity of realism that I look for. You know, an example is I think of a, a film, a Hitchcock film called I Confess, which I really loved and just had heavy, heavy use of shadows. But whenever there was action, it was sort of all so occluded that um, I couldn't follow what was going on. And, and not that I need to know all the details. You know, the suggestion of what happened is enough. But it just sort of didn't strike me as a way that you could convey action. Um but really, it was something like maybe the Born movies, you know, the Born Born Identity, and 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 afterwards, that were such a sort of a stylistic trendsetter in action movies, where they they skewed the the exaggeration, you know, that was in the bombastic Rambo type movies, and they went for like this certain degree of flying bodies and you know fighting ingenuity and and like levels of stunts that just really seemed closer to. A naturalistic, you know, Greengrass brought this almost documentarian style 
to it. And what, what made those amazing to me was that, um, you know, in an espionage story, you're basically trying to mask a lot of the humanity. Like what makes characters appeal to us oftentimes is our sense of identification with them. But everything is about deception. Everything's about, um, you know, the double cross. And that's fun and interesting. But, um, you know, and, and with Bourne, for instance, he's just like super effective. He kicks butt. He walks into a room. He knows 50 ways to kill you or whatever. But, but you have to let slip underneath that enough humanity to make that character compelling because otherwise it just sort of is an exercise in, in coolness, which sometimes the bond films feel like. Right. And, um, it's, it's not about his feelings and being gushy and emotional, but it's about how the situation and the, the terror of the situation, despite his competence, you know, calls up all kinds of feelings. And so that the action has this valence of emotion in it. And I think with black widow, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, you, 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 um, uh, and you see this a lot in the the character in the films. She's so kick butt competent, you know. She she just is in charge and master of every situation. But how do you then have actual emotion with the character? And so much of it has to be that all of this, you know, espionage, spy work, whatever. And I think Scarlett Johansson does a pretty good job of this too in her portrayal of the character, um, or the directors and writers or whatever. <laughs> the movies do a decent job of this of creating her as an espionage character that doesn't mask the humanity to a point that there's not an emotional valence, even despite all of the sort of cold calculating competence of who she is. You know, and some of that is in this flashback business to who she was as a kid, and that's here in this comic too. But I think a lot of it is in the detail of the action. It's in the, the embodied physicality of what uh, she strains to do. There's a certain realism, but it's not so real it's not so real that it kind of um, uh, that it kind of um, makes it impenetrable to identify with or to relate with the action that's going on. Um, I don't know if any of this is making <laughs> any sense, but I guess I guess I just want to come back to the idea of Barry and Burn because, um, sort of unintentionally, as I thought about Barry and Burn, I I, I kind of uh, came to the plot of issue five of black widow and again not giving too much away but there's quite a lot of burning going on and there's a little bit of bearing literally um in terms of the um the characters and and what's going on in in some of the um the action and the intrigue there's you know cars flying from places and then there's explosions and um and then there's you know a villain who's very much hidden in darkness and um and secrets and the somni art um conveys so much of this with very little of it having to be spelled out with words you know so much of it happens in the action which is actually just very um this is again a master class in how to lead the eye so that it's all very easy to gloss um but i think there's also just something to the style and especially again to the the burning and the burying of details that um it just strikes you as real as like sort of again jason Bourne level of real um but not photographic not photographically fake not um by the by the numbers um sort of real but a very um evocative a very um, emotionally involving kind of uh storytelling 
uh, a, a very emotionally involving kind of kind of visuals. Um, I think the level of abstraction is such that it calls for you to imagine and therefore um, to become invested emotionally. Um, so, yeah. So, three cheers for Somni. Um, check out Jesse Ham's Patreon page and learn a thing or two about art. Um, he's also just a very nice guy. And, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Chris Somni, I, I don't think he got a nod for the Eisners this year. Uh, he has in the past. Um, I think he continues to do not only great work in terms of the storytelling that he's doing, and I, and I hope you catch in the way that I keep talking about it that I really think he deserves to be credited as a storyteller and not only as, not that artists aren't storytellers, but I just mean that there's a whole nother level of kind of thought um, or intuition or whatever craft that's involved here. Um, uh, but Insomni is doing it, and I think he's also part of a, a, a generation of artists who are doing it. Um, I'd put Ham there, I'd put Shaner there, I'd put um, some of the artists that uh, do different kinds of stuff. So I'm going to leave someone's out, name out if I keep going, so I'm going to stop myself there before I <laughs> put my foot in my mouth. All right, so that's my thoughts about the art of Black Widow number five. Um, yeah, hey, if you appreciate the um, extended ramblings that I put down every day here on the Paul list, please hit me up at Tuply um, or Tuply at gmail.com. Let me know you're listening. Um, as I've said, I intend to do this project through the summer and then to assess based on some feedback whether I should keep going. So um, anyway, it's been fun. Thank you. And thanks to Jesse Ham. Thanks to Chris Somney for um, his kick butt art. And, uh, and uh, keep reading. All right.